North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Kristen Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we continue through this season of Lent by looking at a passage today from the lectionary, which is one of the most famous parables of Jesus, the parable of the prodigal son. We're going to see how this is really Jesus' answer to the accusations from the Pharisees that he was spending time with the wrong kinds of people. We're going to ask ourselves uh, where the Holy Spirit may be moving in our world among people that we may disagree with or may not like or may not think should get in and um, see what the Spirit is doing and inviting us into. So here we go. Let's head to North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. passage for today from the lectionary is Luke chapter 15, verse 1 through 3 and 11 through 32. This is probably one of the most famous um, parables of Jesus, the parable of the prodigal son. I will read it to you, starting in verse 1. I'm saying that by faith. Um, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate or my inheritance. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So when he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs, he no longer he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a barbecue and celebrate. My my translation. For this son 
of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So there they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came to this house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he is, has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered, Father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That's a great story, huh? I never get tired of this one. We did a series on this, uh, I don't know, two years ago uh, where we spent probably five weeks just looking at this one parable. Uh, and, and it is one of those parables. It, it seems like no matter how many times I read it, it hits me in a little bit different way. There's so many different uh, vantage points that you can look at this story. But what I want to kind of look at today is the, if we put this parable in context, it is really Jesus' answer to the accusation of the Pharisees. This, this uh, passage starts off, it says, all the sinners and tax collectors started coming to Jesus to hear him. Uh, this is all the, all the bad people in society. <laughs> Jesus is attracting them. And he's not only just preaching to them, the Pharisees, they say, why does this guy welcome sinners and eat with them? Think about the people that you eat with. Think about the people you invite over to your house for dinner, right? You don't just invite anybody over to your house for dinner, right? I mean, most of you. I know some of y'all do. Because um, <laughs> you've had me over before. Um, but, but to invite somebody to break bread at your table, even in our culture, that's a pretty big deal. To have somebody over and extend hospitality, to, to enjoy a meal together, that means something. But if it means something to us, it was a super big deal back in the first century in Judaism. Because in Judaism, you couldn't eat with anybody who was unclean in any way. You couldn't eat with Gentiles. You couldn't eat with sinners. I mean, there was a very small group of people that you could have a meal with. And here's Jesus breaking all the rules. He's eating with the wrong kind of people. He's actually welcoming them at his table. This was saying that Jesus accepted them. He loved them. He was glad to be with them. And the Pharisees are going, we thought you were a, a, a rabbi. We thought you were a prophet. We thought you were some holy man. Why are you hanging out with these people? Why don't you hang out with the holy people like us? And so what we see in Luke chapter 15 is Jesus answers them with three parables. The parable of the lost coin. A woman loses a coin in her house. She turns the house upside down. When she finds it, she, she wants to throw a party because she found her coin. A guy who loses one sheep out of his hundred sheep and he forsakes the 99 to go find this one sheep. And then finally, the, the big punchline, Jesus answers this, this accusation, why do you hang around with sinners with the prodigal son parable? 
This parable is not just, um, not just an inspirational story. It's an answer to why God is behaving badly. <laughs> why is God behaving badly? Here's why. Here's why. In the prodigal son story, we, we find that there are two ways to be lost. Now, we're all familiar with the first way to be lost, right? Sex, drugs, rock and roll. If you live for your own selfish desires, it's going to mess up your life, right? Some of y'all know that from personal experience, right? Can I get an amen? It's getting quiet in here. No. <laughs> we know if you follow the path of hedonism, if you just do everything you want to in this life, I mean, you see how well it works for your own children sometimes. Like, you know, you want to be selfish and stuff. Okay, we'll let you. It's, it's going to destroy your life. That's the obvious way. <laughs> the not-so-obvious way to be lost is moralism. And this is really the point of Jesus' story here. It's not so much that, that, that there, we, we call it the parable of the prodigal son, but it's really, if we look at the point of the story and Jesus' answer to his critics, it's really more the parable of the older brother because it leaves it in tension at the end. We don't see what happens with the older brother. Does he go into the party? Does he not? Well, that's kind of intentional because Jesus is asking the question. Are you going to go into the party? Are you going to celebrate with what God is doing, even though it offends you? And even though it breaks the rules, even though it it breaks all your understanding of what you think is holy and righteous and how God is supposed to behave, (laughs) are you going to go into the party? I find it interesting in this parable that the way the younger brother and the way the older brother describe themselves. When the younger brother gets to this point of desperation where he's at the bottom of a pig trough, you know, which for a, a young Jewish boy, this would be like, this would be hell. This is as bad as it gets. He's feeding pigs and he's wanting what the pigs are eating. He's like, he's so hungry. He's like, man, that slop looks good. And he comes to his senses. He says, I'm going to return to my father's house and maybe he'll take me in. I'm going to say, I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. I've wasted everything you gave me on my own selfishness. Take me back as a slave, a servant. I don't even have to be restored to the family because I know you treat your servants, your hired hands, better than this. He sees himself as not worthy to be called even a son anymore. Just make me a slave. What's the older brother say, though? When he comes back from out being in the fields and he he smells the barbecue, he hears the music, he sees everybody's carrying on. What's going on? There's a party. He's... His, his answer to the father when the father comes out there to try to bring him in is all these years I've slaved for you. The younger brother says, I'll just go back and be a slave for my dad. The older brother has lived in the house and considers himself a slave. I've done this stuff for you all these years. He's filled with resentment. I've, I've been slaving for you all these years and you've never even cooked me a goat, a baby goat. Call that gabrito in Texas. It's, it's yummy. <laughs> you never even cooked me a goat. But see, these ways that they describe themselves in relation to the Father are very telling for the way that they actually see themselves. The older brother has, has taken pride 
in his sacrifice, pride in his work, pride that, uh, that he uh, is doing his moral duty as a son. And yet, he has no relationship with the Father. He's in the house, but he doesn't know the Father. And that's the scarier place to be. We all know you can, you can go spend your days partying on Bourbon Street and just being crazy. Yeah, that's a good way to be lost. It's a good way to lose track of your life. Good way to, to mess things up. The truth is you can be the most moral, upstanding citizen in Covington. People can praise you for your charitable deeds, and you can still be disconnected from God. The point of Jesus' story is God is doing this new thing. He is welcoming in all the broken, messed up people, and he's embracing them. He's not just welcoming them at the table. Jesus is like the Father. He's running to them. He's throwing a robe on them. He's putting a ring on them. He's throwing a party. I mean, Jesus gets accused by the Pharisees of being a drunk and a glutton because he's partying so much with the wrong kind of people. That's his reputation. (laughs) He's partying with the wrong kind of people, but what he's saying is this is a matter of celebration because these people who felt like they were far away from God, they're not far anymore. They're being embraced by God. Will you join the Father in, doing, in, in rejoicing in what he's doing? Will you do that? That's the question that's left open at the end of the prodigal son. Now, I can imagine for Jesus' original disciple, this story, it was good news. Because guess what? Jesus' original disciples were kind of like the prodigals, you know? You had a tax collector named Matthew. He'd have been a corrupt dude. Um, You know, they've taken money to persecute his own people. You had a couple of zealots and some guys that were okay with overthrowing the government. You, you had simple work thing, working class fishermen. Jesus did not hire any seminary students or scribes or anybody who, you know, I mean, if you were picking a team to, to change the world, you wouldn't have picked these guys. So when these guys hear this story, I'm sure they're thinking, yeah, yeah, he, God loves us. But you know, these very same disciples that were with Jesus, I want to put it in context a little bit. These very same disciples, many of them would find themselves in the same place as the Pharisees just a few years later. And here's the deal. Every one of us that follows after God, we're going to find ourselves in places where we get offended at the people that God loves. We're going to find ourselves in places where God is blessing people we don't want him to bless. Because God's not supposed to bless those kind of people. We will. I'm telling you. We will first find ourselves being those kind of people, like the prodigal son. I know people see, when I first came to Christ, like, seeing God bless me, people were like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if that guy should get in. (laughs) So we come to God as prodigals many times, but then we will find ourselves as the older brother at some point in our journey. Will we rejoice? Will we celebrate with God in blessing people that shouldn't get blessed? To put this in context, the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, 
the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. Jesus told his disciples, go to Jerusalem, wait in the upper room, and I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, the Comforter. And, and he's going to guide you into all truth. So the, the disciples go and wait in Jerusalem. They're, they're waiting and praying. And on the day of Pentecost, this festival where people from all over the world at that time would come to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. All of a sudden, as they're praying in this upper room, they hear, hear this gale force wind blowing through. They look around. Everybody's got fire on their heads. And then people... They, the, the, the whole group spills from this upper room down into the streets where there were crowds gathered from all these nations, and they begin speaking in languages that none of them knew. And all the people out on the street are like, what's going on? These guys drunk or something? And Peter gets up. And Peter could have explained this any way he wanted to, but the way that Peter explains what go, what's going on is, is quoting a prophecy from several hundred years before from the book of Joel, Joel chapter 2, and, and he says this, In the last days, God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men and your young men will, will, your old men will, will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. I think I got that right. Um, even on your servants, both men and women, I'm going to pour out my spirit. Do you realize how radical this is? I mean, you probably don't because we live in a time where, you know, everybody can get along. But up to that point in the history of the Bible, if you read the Bible, it's been the Holy Spirit doing anything for God. It's been mainly a Jewish guys club. You know, it really has been. Like, if you wanted to be a priest, guess what? You had to be a Jewish guy. Not just any Jewish guy. You had to be from the tribe of Levi. So, you, I mean, it was like a very small group of people could, could work in the temple. When we look at the prophets in the Old Testament, there's very few women that, that had the Holy Spirit poured upon them. But Peter gets up on this day and he says, God is busting this thing open. It's not about just being from Israel anymore. It's not just about being, uh, it's not about being a, a particular tribe. God's pouring out his spirit on all flesh, men and women, young and old. Now, I think one of the most scandalous things of the early church, you know what the early church would do every Sunday? They would get together and they would break bread. Now, they, they would, it was a little bit less tame than what we do here. Because they would have a meal. They would call them love feasts. And they'd get together. And, and they'd, they'd have a big meal. And then they would have communion together. They'd break the bread. Share the cup. But what was, what was really scandalous about the early church. Was not this meeting. It was who was there. Because at this in the early church. In these little homes. Where they would have their meetings on a Sunday morning. Celebrating the resurrection. You would have men and women together. <laughs> You'd have Jews and Gentiles together. You would have slaves and free people together. Do you realize how radical that was in the first century? Slaves didn't hang out with their masters. But the early church said, in Jesus Christ, we're all, we're all one. We're all equal in Jesus. It was a radical stance against the, the divisions of the world because in Christ, Christ brought together all these people that were divided in society. So Peter announces the, the, the radical message of the gospel. This thing's for everybody. The Holy Spirit's doing something that involves everybody now. Now, here's the deal. As amazing as, as, as 
Acts chapter 2 is and what the Holy Spirit was doing, it took the church, the early church, the original followers of Jesus, the ones who heard the parable of the prodigal son when Jesus delivered it, it took them eight years to officially accept what Peter had proclaimed on the day of Pentecost. That the Holy Spirit was for everybody. Follow me now. Acts chapter 9. Um, there, Peter has this dream. I'm not going to get into it much. Peter has a dream. There's this big tablecloth sheet coming down from heaven with all these animals that Jews weren't supposed to eat. Probably had pigs and crawfish and um, all that stuff we love down here. And, uh, and, 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 and he hears the voice of God, arise, Peter, kill and eat. And he's like, no, I'm a good Jew. The Bible says not to eat this stuff. And, and Peter has this vision three times, and then God tells him each time, I, I, arise, kill and eat. It's okay. This stuff's okay. And basically, God was telling Peter that, that this stuff had not been okay at one time, but it's okay now. That, that everybody is, is seen to be clean in God's eyes now. That all people can get in on it. That was kind of the point of it. So, at the same time that God is doing this thing with Peter, there's this guy who was a Roman centurion, an Italian, named um, Cornelius. And Cornelius is told by, by God that there's going to be this guy, Peter, that comes to your house, and he's going to help you out. So Peter shows up at Cornelius' house, and I put, I put the little uh, quote in there. When he first shows up at Cornelius' house, he goes, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. This is 37 AD. Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit being poured out was seven years earlier. And Peter was the one who proclaimed it. It took Peter seven years to officially uh, begin the first steps of pressing into what the Spirit of God was actually doing. You know, moving on all flesh, that stuff. going to keep on going. (laughs) And so from Acts chapter 10 up to Acts chapter 15, we see that the Holy Spirit starts moving on all the wrong people. The Holy Spirit starts getting the same scandalous reputation that Jesus had. Like, why is the Holy Spirit moving on these people? That's not supposed to happen. To the point where the first major scandal in the church was what do we do with Gentiles? Because it seems like God's moving upon them. I mean, that's the first, the first council in church history where they got to get together and come up with some rules on things to figure out what God's doing um, was over this issue. And it was 18 years after Pentecost where Peter had announced these things for everybody. 18 years for the church to get on board with what God was already doing. And they finally... I think I put this, um, yeah, Acts chapter 15, 7 through 10. This is what they finally came to say. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among the Gentiles, among you, that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed me that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them. He purified their hearts by faith. 
Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a, a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. This is where they finally ended up. I would say they went from being prodigal, I mean, they went from being the older brother in the prodigal son parable to stepping into the party. And I think that's the invitation to every one of us today. You know, what are the people in our world, whether individuals or groups of people, what are the ones that we are offended to see getting blessed? Who are the folks that we don't think deserve to be in or shouldn't be in because maybe we have some kind of, uh, of, of objection to it? What do we see God doing? What do we discern God doing? So this morning, we're going to come to the communion table. I'm going to invite um, Floyd and Ethel up here. They're going to uh, give communion this morning. But as we come up here, I want us to reflect on a couple of questions. Number one, and I put them on your, your outline. What does this parable reveal about God and how he acts? When you look at the parable of the prodigal son, what does this show you about God? Second way, in what ways do you identify with the younger son taking the blessings of God and using them for your own selfish reasons? And then thirdly, the last two questions, how do, I identify, how do I identify with the older brother in this parable? Are there places where um, you find yourself struggling with resentment towards people that you see them getting blessed and you, you can't rejoice in it with God? Do you feel like that? Is there anybody in particular? And the last question, who are the people or even groups of people that I'm being invited by God to love even though it offends me? I don't have the answers, okay? I don't have the answers for this. But we need to ask these questions. Because if we can learn anything about the God of the New Testament, he loves offending us. He does. And the Holy Spirit has a reputation for, for being every bit as offensive as Jesus was. And showing up in all the kind of wrong places like Jesus did. So why don't you come to the table this morning. I'm going to lead us in a worship song. You can sing along when uh, you're done with communion. As we come to this table, let's, let's remember this Jesus who invited the broken to his own table and extended hospitality. Let's partake of this body broken that we might be made whole and this blood shed that we might have true life.